We are really, really busy. I mean, adding shifts, thanks to Onan's help, adding shifts. Um, and, you know, actually next Monday we will be 24-7. So um, wow. it's, a, it's a time wow. of tremendous growth. Welcome to Real Leadership, the podcast that cuts through the noise to focus on leaders who make, move, and process things in the real economy. Together, we discover the strategies and hard-earned lessons from pragmatic, gutsy leaders who operate in a world that is more steak than it is sizzle. Here we dive in, into their stories, challenges, and triumphs to go beyond the surface to the very heart of leadership in the real economy. I'm your host, Jim Weaver, Chief Operating Officer of the Ona Group, where we believe that real leadership does indeed matter. Let's go. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Paul Seaman, an entrepreneur in the beverage processing industry in the Windy City of Chicago, Illinois. Paul's career journey was a fascinating one. After graduating from Duke University and obtaining his JD from the University of Virginia Law, he spent 17 years practicing law before making an abrupt career change in 2020. That's when he founded Boombox Beverage, a co-packaging retort facility that processes high-quality cold brew coffee. Despite the challenges of the pandemic in the company's infancy stages, Boombox Beverage has thrived and grown a testament to Paul and his team. So without further ado, this is Paul Seaman, CEO and founder of Boombox Beverage. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we got to do this. So uh, as I look at your background, there's a, a question that is, is, has been kind of burning in me and I'll, uh, you know, so you, you, you had a very, really pretty prestigious college track you know, you get your JD, you practice law, you get into corporate counsel, um, move up the food chain there. You work for some pretty big organizations. You were with uh, Rush Street Gaming, which I understand is a, a Forbes 400 uh, family and your, your general counsel there. And then you went and worked for a defense contractor and you moved, went all the way up the ladder to chief business officer. And then you take this, hard left turn to be an entrepreneur. And I got to ask you, like, what were you, what were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like my wife. <laughs> um, you, you know, I uh, always had sort of an entrepreneurial bent. I uh, tried to start businesses in college, was very reluctantly uh, enrolled in law school um, and sort of was on a quest to learn learn what I was trying to learn from law and it took a lot longer than I, I arguably I overinvested in that. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the the goal was to work to, to start a business, um, but it was a pretty long journey to have the confidence to do it. Um, the timing turned out to be pretty interesting, didn't predict yeah. the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, probably the bigger hard left to use your, your, your quote is that I'm uh, in manufacturing, which is not something that I ever even really considered. Um, I was actually not at a defense contractor. It was a nonprofit. Obama set up centers for excellence um, that were backed by the Department of Defense. 
and it, the uh, Digital Manufacturing Center for Excellence happened to be in Chicago. Um, and so, you know, I worked for a family for eight and a half years doing gaming and learned a ton. I mean, the, the person that I worked for, I, I mean, I just learned so much from working with him, but was looking for something different. Um, and a lot of my friends gave me a hard time because they think I went too far the other way because, you know, <laughs> going from a billionaire, working for a billionaire to uh, working for a nonprofit was a pretty abrupt change. Yeah. Um, but I have sort of a, I would say somewhat classic entrepreneurial story where I kind of didn't know any better. <laughs> That's how I uh -huh. ended up sort of where I am. Um, there's a, a friend of my, a friend, he's a friend of mine, but he grew up with my wife. Um, and while I was at the uh, manufacturing center, we were just having lunch, you know, just two buddies catching up. And he started complaining about how there was no one to make cold brew. He was a, a specialty coffee distributor. He was okay. kind of the guy who invented doing that. Um, and Invented you know, doing what? I'm sorry. Uh, distributing specialty coffee. He was the first one who came up with like a really serious company for uh, office coffee supply is what it's okay. called. And so, okay. um, but you know, I didn't know anything about coffee other than as a fan. Um, mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I did the naive, well, how hard is that? What's involved in that? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, fast forward and here we are. I mean, so, so it was, um, I mean, it, yeah, 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 it was a pretty, yeah. pretty far cry from, you know, the partner track in a law firm. It's, it's, it's yes. very, very different. Yes. Understanding your local labor market is crucial for successful recruitment. Odin Staffing's Recruitment Strategy Guide provides insights specific to your geographical location and positions you're hiring for. Our Recruitment Strategy Guide delivers a clear snapshot of your labor market and actionable intel to tackle market-specific challenges. With Onan's expertise, we help you navigate and win in your competitive landscape. Empower your recruiting process and the insights you need. Learn more about Onan's Recruiting Strategy Guide at onanstaffing.com forward slash strategy. Okay, so you, you went from uh, the, the gaming industry and you took what you just said was more of a left turn into the nonprofit sector, right? Yeah, both the nonprofit sector and the manufacturing sector were both, and in some ways gaming was by mistake. I mean, I joined this family in 2008 um, and my background, there was a financial product that we were going to market because I've been a, a specific type of lawyer that, um, and I joined in April of 2008 and this product had a lot of leverage on it. Um, and so the leverage went the wrong way because mm. of the financial crisis and the family sort of mm. pivoted into gaming in a much bigger way. And so it was, um, that was also somewhat by mistake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Isn't that uh, interesting the way life plays out like that? It's uh... <laughs> Happy, yeah. happy mistakes, right? Uh, so um, what were the things that you took away? You said you learned a lot in, in that business from your, from your boss there. So what were some of the, what were some of the major things that you, you took away from that, that gig in that family business? He, he just, um, he was completely self-made. I mean, he's still, he's still alive. He is completely self-made. Um, and he was a, he's a brilliant thinker 
and an incredibly hard worker. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was always humbling. You know, when there was a when there was an issue we were grappling with. I mean, one of the amazing things about that job is, you know, I had access to some of the brightest legal minds in the world. I mean, we mm-hmm. we I sort of ran a virtual law firm, um, and the work we were doing, people thought was interesting enough. You know, the the rule was you had to like get along, or you were sort of not allowed to play. And so we had, you know, one firm doing tax work, one firm doing, and, and it's pretty unusual to have that many firms sort of working as a team. Um, but anyways, we would, I have many examples where we would grapple with an issue and decide that we were finally ready to present to him. Um, and he would immediately just say something that none of us had thought of in the hours of preparation that we had done. And, and you literally, it was like a head slapping moment where you're like, oh my God, that is so obvious now that he huh. said it, how did we miss this? I mean, he just, he, he's just a brilliant, brilliant human being. Yeah, yeah. You had mentioned that you kind of reluctantly went to law school. And I, I actually hear that a lot. Not, it's a fairly common thing for lawyers to say, is that, why do you think that is? And, and why, why did you do it in spite of kind of being reluctant about Because that's a big commitment. So um, <laughs> the truth is, is somewhat humorous. I, uh, I tried to start a business my senior year of college. I was, I was managing a band at the time and working on a venue with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents said, just take the LSAT. You never know what's going to happen just in case. Um, and so that deal fell apart. Um, and I was, I was pretty uncomfortable during the deal because, you know, I was being handed contracts and I, and I couldn't read them. Uh, and I went to see the pre-law dean at my college and said, hey, what should I do? And he said, well, the big decision you have is, you know, you should apply to these schools. It actually was amazing. He was like, you should apply to these seven schools You'll get into these. You you won't get into these, and you'll get waitlisted at this one. And he oh. was seven, he was seven for seven, which was pretty amazing. Wow. But um, he said the bigger question is, what are you going to do this year? Because there's nothing you can do that matters. So I think you should move to Colorado. <laughs> and so that was. And so on the ride home from that meeting, I called my parents and said, I'm going to law school. <laughs> so it was <laughs> the most. Uh, I figured it wouldn't hurt me, but it was not the most. Uh, like I never really aspired to be a lawyer. I, I wanted to understand how deals worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully a law school education has evolved a lot because that was not what um, you learned at law school when I went. So, yeah. so that's why I went to New York, um, you know, sort of on the same quest. Uh, and I don't think I really got an understanding till I worked for the family and watched this guy who was, you know, a dean of doing deals, put deals together. Yeah, yeah. I those are those are really the lawyers that um, add value to business. I think the ones that bring you ideas and and they they've got that entrepreneurial bent to them, that creativity to them. I don't know. It seems like they're kind of the the yes or no lawyers, and then you have the creative ones, and and those are the you know, but I mean, there's a passion to to really good lawyers that candidly I lacked. Mm. I mean, if I just was being honest about myself, um, 
I was able to do it. I was, I was decent at it. But, you know, by the time I had negotiated an indemnity provision for the gajillion time, I, I just, I didn't have the love for the dance mm. that, that a lot of people who are successful at practicing law have. Yeah, where, yeah. where they just really want to sort of play the chess match and get as, as much as they can get. Um, and, you know, one of the most humbling... <laughs> one of the most humbling legal things was soon after I got hired by this family, you know, w- one of the important things in a document, I don't want to put your listeners to sleep. No, but, no, please. Um, <laughs> one of the important things in a document, it's called the flow of funds. And so it means when money comes, where does the money go? Um, and I had drafted probably a thousand flow of funds and I had an accountant come to me and this was probably like my second week and say, okay, we just sold this company. Here's the agreement. I need to send the money out. How does it work? <sighs> and it was a, I mean, it was a, it was a super <laughs> humbling thing because, you know, I had been paid, my hourly rate was insane because I was at a fancy law firm and I'd never been asked something that practical. Right, right. <laughs> I had to like really work through it. Um, it was, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, oh, how does the money work? Because, you know, we, we used to, find the deal document, put it on a shelf and it was over. Right, right, right. About, you know, the, the practical stuff. So, you know, for me, I always wanted to be closer to the, closer to the actual deals. Um, but I mean, I have tremendous respect for, I mean, I, I just, I was incredibly fortunate to work with some really brilliant lawyers yeah. who, who just, to your point, are just super creative and just really have a incredible understanding and mastery of the subject matter. I just sort of, I didn't have the same passion for it. I sort of felt that it was repetitive rather than mastering a task or something like that. Yeah. Okay, so you uh, seventeen years in. What what finally? You you mentioned this conversation you had with with someone who was in the business. What finally crystallized the decision to to make the leap for you? What made that time the right time to do it? I think it was um, it was it was a couple of things. One, you know, I'd been the general counsel of this large. Well, it wasn't large when we started, but by the time I left, you know, we we were doing over a billion of revenue, and we were we had five thousand plus employees, and you know, we had really built something pretty amazing. And also, if you think about the time, it was during the financial crisis that we were creating all these jobs, mm. um, which was which was pretty incredible. But yeah, you know, as a lawyer, my job was always to lay out what the options were and um, say, you could go this way or this way, but you got to think about it. But I never actually made the decision. Um, And then when I went to the nonprofit, I was running multiple departments. um, And I would say that gave me some more confidence because I was sort of one step closer to the action. Mm -hmm. And then as that was going on, this opportunity, you, you know, my friend said, well, there's something called the Specialty Coffee Expo. Um, SCA has an expo. It actually was this past weekend. It was the first one I've missed in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, well, why don't you go to the SCA and, and take a look and see 
and, and I went there and I was like, oh my God, there's a total gap. At the time, I thought it was going to follow craft beer mm-hmm. um, where mm-hmm. it was like, okay, there's Sam Adams and Anchor's Theme, which was, you know, Stumptown and La Coloma or whoever your sort of big cold brew brand. Obviously, Starbucks is the, is the big pop of it all. Sure. Um, but it seemed like there was a total lack of cold brew conversations in the specialty realm. Yeah. Um, and then I came back and he said, I said, Oh my God, I think there's a gap. He's like, well, there's one more piece to this puzzle. You should go to the national restaurant association meeting, which happened to be in Chicago. And after that meeting, I was like, Oh my God, the huge companies are all about cold brew. There's, there's a window here and an opportunity. I I, I need to do that. And my, my wife was actually with me at NRA and, and she, you know, I, I, have always bounced ideas off of her and the like. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you, you, you need to do this. Um, the thing that was amazing is our business is this machine called Retort. Um, yes. And I had never heard of a Retort. <laughs> so I jumped into this, you know, looking for 5,000 square feet, couple tanks, canning line, you know, totally simple. Um, and then I realized that this Retort machine, whatever it was, was the whole, was the whole game. Um, and it totally changed everything because it's just so much more complicated, so much more regulated. Um, so, would you, would you explain what you do, like to to the folks, what that what the retort process is, sure, or, or what you do? Yeah, yeah. So, um, what we what we do, the FDA has something called a low acid canned food. That is something with a pH that is higher than four point six. Um, and in the sort of scheme of how the FDA regulates, you, you have pharmaceuticals and then, and then low acid is the next level of regulation uh, deemed okay. by the FDA to be sort of the, the I, I mean, if we don't do our job correctly, people could get really sick. And mm. so, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really important that, that yeah. it's, it's heavily regulated and as a consumer, you know, I sort of feel okay with how it's regulated. Just, just, yeah, being, yeah, yeah. Just being blunt, but sure. Um, for something that's low acid, which is coffee, uh, milk, alt milk, some teas. Some teas are not low acid, but so, so you know, if you want to do a cold brew or a latte, um, you need to heat treat it somehow to make sure yeah. it's safe to ship it without refrigeration. And there's two choices. You can either do something called aseptic, which is um, a process that we don't do, which is, you know, like the plastic bottles uh, or a Tetra pack, think of like a protein shake mm-hmm. um, or a, like a Stoke uh, uh, RTD or something like that. And then for cans, the only FDA approved way to send stuff without refrigeration is retort, which is a giant pressure cooker. Okay. Um, And, you know, it's a fascinating market because the market's exploding um, against Starbucks. I'm I'm the opposite of a Starbucks hater. Um, (laughs) I think the market follows them. Yeah. yeah. Um, And, and Starbucks, and if you look at the numbers, I mean, they're just the, the, the Frappuccino and the double shot is, I mean, they're just dominant. Yeah. Um, But there are not many facilities in the United States that are for hire to make retort beverages. 
Um, and I don't know if it's because of COVID or because of how complicated it is. It appears currently that the big ones are getting bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and, and by the way, we're the smallest facility in the United States. So oh, we're, wow. we're, we're small, but we like to think mighty. Yeah. <laughs> but the big guys are getting bigger. And currently it appears that there aren't a bunch of facilities coming online. I mean, there's rumors, but um, it's just, there is one mega facility that's coming online that everyone knows about. Um, it's going to be a 550,000 square foot facility in Arkansas. Oh my goodness. Run by a public company called Westrock. But they're, I mean, they're the sort of, we do the same thing, but we don't do the same thing at all, if that makes yeah. any sense. I mean, yeah. they're going to make a, you, you know, uh, Starbucks is not calling us because right. they, right. if they hugged us, we would choke. Um, <laughs> but, there's, but there's enough innovative brands or brand extensions or private label that we are really, really busy. I mean, adding shifts, thanks to Onan's help, adding shifts. Um, and, you know, actually next Monday we will be 24 seven. So um, wow. it's, a, it's a time wow. of tremendous growth. Yeah. Facing sudden growth or limited by traditional financing? Momentum Capital Funding empowers businesses with real-time cash flow through AR Factory. Get the funding you need and fuel your success. Visit MomentumCapitalFunding.com to learn more. How did you learn about the retort process? Am I saying that right? Is it a process? Yeah, or no, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, I would say... I have been very fortunate to have um, the FDA requires that you have some something called a process authority, uh -huh. uh, who is like uh, basically the person who verifies things on their behalf. Mm -hmm. So it's an independent, uh, oh, yeah. someone independent, and we have a partnership with uh, a process authority out of New Orleans. Um, they're called Technical. The guy, it was started by a guy named Lee Cabes. His son Scott now runs it. Um, I would say Scott has been incredibly patient and generous. Mm -hmm. um, there's a guy named Scott Maxey from Imbibe um, who spent a lot of time and been in, incredibly, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of, it's been a lot of listening on the process side yeah. in terms of like, and then fortunately, I don't think so much on the processing side. But overall, I mean, there's been a lot of mistakes and a lot of painful, you know, <laughs> the old-fashioned way, just, you yeah. know, did a bunch of really not great stuff. So Okay, so you mentioned before uh, you're the classic entrepreneur who didn't know better. So what were some of the eye-opening... Uh, uh, well, I mean, just taking on building a manufacturing plant when you've never worked at one yeah. was tremendously stupid <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes there's no there's no sort of um or arrogant or i don't know what the right word is i mean it just when we opened uh, well not not just when we were open the, the, the process of getting it opened was filled with a lot of bumps and I, I mean when i look back on some of the things that i didn't know that are just fundamental it, it's 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 crazy and, yeah. and, you know, fortunately, I, I think people are incredibly generous in terms of, 
you, you know, I mentioned Scott Maxey from Imbibe, but I mean, Imbibe is a, is a large formulator in Chicago. And I mean, they just were incredibly generous with their resources. They have a huge team, tons of expertise. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they've been my phone a friend since the beginning. Um, you know, there's been a lot of like phone friends and a yeah, lot of yeah. mistakes made um, that fortunately, I think the market is robust enough that we've been able to get past those mistakes. You had never managed a blue collar, like a entry level production workforce before, obviously. Um, so what has worked for you there in terms of uh, attracting employees and retention and, and what what hasn't worked for you? So I'll start with a story that I think is kind of amusing. Um, so I have a really close friend from college who actually went to law school and then got an MBA and now is a casino executive. And he was the CFO of the crown jewel of the casino company when I was there. Um, and th- there was something going on and I was, you know, getting, it, it was an, it was an uncomfortable time because yeah. because everybody was upset and there was a lot of scrutiny. And so I was calling this guy all the time and sort of saying like, I just, I don't understand. Like what what's the, like, it's not that hard. Just, just make it happen, you know? And yeah, yeah. Um, I would say about a year into this business, I called him up and apologized because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I get it now. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's, it's challenging. I mean, it, it's, and, and, you know, I think some of the, there's a lot of externalities and remember we got our, our certificate of occupancy May 20th, 2020, wow. um, our, our inspection wow. started with the screaming fight with the health department about social distancing. Oh, I was like, oh boy, this is not going to be good. Oh. Um, so, y- y- you know, we, we've never operated in a quote unquote normal time. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think, I, I think you need good partners and good mentors and, you know, I think, um, I mean, our employees are really smart and they're, and they're authentic. And, you know, I, um, my language is not good. So I, I don't know if, I mean, you just can't bullshit people. It's just yeah. not going to work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. so, um, not that I was trying to in the beginning, but I mean, I do think that I was a little naive, um, maybe remain my, my, I'd like to think optimistic. My wife would probably say naive, but, um, it's a fine line, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, employ employment has been a real challenge. I mean, getting people and it, it's funny because I think there were like phases. There was a period where I felt like people needed to schedule interviews to keep their COVID benefits and so you get a lot of interviews that were scheduled where they never showed up. And then yeah. like now we're sort of at the phase where um, you don't know if someone's coming until they actually start. And you don't, I mean, it's just, there, there, there's a lot of, um, I mean, we recently hired someone for HR um, who's great. <laughs> uh, and, you know, one of the challenging things as an owner is I do try to do the right thing, mm-hmm. um, which is not, you know, there's gray in that. Sure. You, you do sometimes feel like it's, 
goes unnoticed or people don't care. And she, we, we had a conversation an hour and a half ago about how, you know, last week we had a mechanical issue and the decision was made that everyone had to get paid for 40 hours because it's not like people's bills stopped because we had a mechanical right. issue. Right. Um, and she said to me, look, I mean, I've been meaning to tell you this. Someone did say, wow, that was really like a generous thing to do. Mm. Um, and it was, it, it felt kind of good to, that someone acknowledged it because we could have easily yeah. said, yep, we're not, we're not producing, you know, too bad. A lot of companies would have done that. A lot yeah, of companies well, would have done that. And that might have been the right thing to do. I don't know. But <laughs> so, you know, it's, we're still, we have some great people. We're still trying to build our core. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's, um, it's a really challenging employment time. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, people, the, the folks who work at factories, and I'm, I'm not trying to generalize, a lot of them have a lot of complicating life factors that, that you know, some, some of, some, I mean, there are people who aren't going to be good employees no matter what, but sure. some of the people, most of the people I feel like, and again, maybe it's op optimism or naive, I don't know, um, really want to be good employees, but you know, they've got things going on, a, a lot of them in their home country. I mean, we've had yeah. people leave because a situation they needed to go home for, you know, we, we just, the population is dealing with a lot. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, I love your realism with that. I, I'm 100% with you. I, I We've got to be real about, okay, let, let's look at the, the income threshold, and you you can't sort of impose uh, a middle class experience onto that. I mean, you you're going to have car issues, you're going to have uh, childcare issues. I mean, we, we've well, got and, to just and I think a huge portion of our, of our population is sending money to their you know, to their family wherever they're from. Yeah, and so you know, on top of the fact that that you know, there, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, it's not, I have a ton of respect for the people who work at, at, at a place like Boombox. I mean, they yeah. just, they're, what they're doing is amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it seems like you are planning out a little. Does it feel like that? Like your business is kind of, okay, you, you got, you're only three years in now. Yeah. But yeah. it feels like you guys have planned out. Does it feel that way to you? Some days. <laughs> Some days it feels that way. Some days are, you know, I mean, you, you uh, I, I send a quarterly letter to my investors and I had a section this time that said, what keeps you up at night? Hmm. Um, and, you know, the first sentence was, you don't do a job like this because you want to sleep great. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting observation. I, I would say compared to, Compared to when we're planning out, but I don't know that we're, it doesn't, I mean, we just, we, we, manufacturing's hard. I yeah. mean, it's really hard. And it's, it's, I always joke that it's a, it's like a strange 3D puzzle where you've got to have mm. the right equipment, the right people and the right partners. And the partners yeah. are vendors and customers for it all to work. Yeah. Um, and it's also, you know, and you can hear it and feel it. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like, most most jobs that I'd had before, 
I mean, you can you can literally feel in the building how things are going. Sure, absolutely. So it's 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 interesting. Yeah. Who is your customer, and why do they pick you as opposed to one of your competitors? Like, what's your competitive uh, advantage? Who's your ideal partner? So it's it's a mix of people. Um, Historically, it's been new launches, um, brand extensions, and then private label is sort of where I think we're going. Mm -hmm. I mean, our customers, candidly, the big guys are so big that even very large companies sometimes can't launch a product with the minimum orders that the larger customers require. So I think, you know, most most of our customers are launching something new. And I think they're working with us because that's kind of what we specialize in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, if I'm being totally honest, the market's also crazy. And, you know, some of them are working with us because they don't have another choice. I, I, I'd like to convert them and have sure. people working with us because they think we're, great to work with and great at what we do. And, but I mean, that's just, that's, that's the honest answer is that, you know, one of the largest facilities is in Illinois called Burner and they're, they're not interested in talking to a smaller, I mean, they just, they just can't, their lines are just too big. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's evolving though. I mean, hope, hopefully it will, it will evolve and, and we'll be more sort of focused on, private label and I think we're developing a positive reputation. I hope so. Um, But I mean, co-manufacturing is a hard business. As many people like you, other ones don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard business, Um, but it's similar to what I was describing with the employees. I mean, we try and do the right thing and sometimes we feel like people recognize it and appreciate it. And sometimes maybe not so much. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we try and do Well, you right. got to keep doing the right thing though. Just so you yeah. can it's already hard enough to sleep with all the the issues rolling yeah. around your head if you if you yeah. if your conscience is wearing on you. That's that's not, that's not going to help with the sleep. That's for sure. Yep. Well, hey, I appreciate you. So, how can folks we'll, we'll put uh, we'll put contact information in the show notes, but uh, how can folks if they want to work with you or work uh, on your team, uh, how can they how can they find you? Probably the website's the best place. It's <clears throat> boomboxbeverage.com. Um, we are always looking for mechanics. <laughs> we yeah. are currently looking for filler operators, always looking for quality people. Um, well, quality people in general, like in terms of high quality people, but specifically uh, quality techs. Quality techs, um, okay. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're adding shifts. So we're, we're constantly hiring um, and so, you know, if, if a fast paced, relatively flat environment is appealing, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we're attracting builders because, because we're, 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 we're really trying to build something. Well, we can attest to the environment out there. We walk into a lot of places uh, and you're right. You can feel when you walk into a place, you can feel the energy and, and, uh, um, from what my team has said, you guys have that going. So 
Um, that's that's great. Um, I know it doesn't feel like it, but it's been three years, and I, I got to tell you, um, and <laughs> I've been in uh, you know the recruiting business for twenty two now. Wow. Uh, these years that you've launched this business in, there's some crazy years, and you guys have you know, you're running three shifts and you're picking up customers and you have accomplished a lot in three years. So, uh, congratulations. And well, I you. just hope it continues to rock and roll for you. And, uh, and thank, thanks to, uh, the team in Chicago from Onan, uh, Pilar and Esmeralda. Thanks. Thanks for all your hard work. We saw some candidates from you this morning. Amen to that. All right. <laughs> so, okay, Paul, well, I all appreciate right. you. Thank you so much. Take care.